On today's Pick and Pod, Kevin and I talk to Chris Herring of the Wall Street Journal around the three-minute mark and give our NCAA tournament picks around the 33-minute mark. From our WFUV studios in the Bronx, New York, it's the Pick and Pod. Drop us a voicemail at 347-903-WFUV. Now, here are your hosts, Kenny Ducey and Kevin Kelly. I love this song, and it's, 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 a, great, it's a great day in New York. This Phil Jackson is the president of the New York Knicks and in charge of, as Jim Dolan said, all basketball operations. You notice how when he said it, he was he like made sure he moved into the microphone and he said it very loudly. He's giving up control. He's Willingly up control, and gratefully, Kevin. as he said. Yep. <laughs> Kenny Ducey across from Kevin Kelly will be joined by Chris Herring of the Wall Street Journal at Herring WSJ here in just a sec. If just for some reason you don't follow him, you need to go do that. Um, to talk a bit about the media relationship with the Knicks we'll get into, as well as you know just the future um, in general of the team with you know Woodson and whatnot. Uh, my, my, first of all, you took a great picture of me taking a picture of the camera because <laughs> I was in the background of ESPN shot. So thank you for that. Oh, absolutely. Um, I couldn't yeah. believe it. I woke up in the morning, I turned on ESPN, and there was Kenny Ducey. <laughs> it was such a wonderful start to the day. I, I made sure I got my seat right in the middle so I could take a picture for the website. And then, of course, it was like blurry. So, all right, whatever. Um, but no, it was it, it was a really like like I wrote in my article like even the coffee was good yesterday. Like the coffee, sucks. I saw you holding that. Yeah, it's so bad <laughs> at MSG. The coffee, it's like always burnt, and it was good. I, I it's just it, unbelievable. Like what it, there was just such a different feeling there. And I also wrote like the stage was facing the street yesterday and it was facing the opposite direction when they introduced the new garden so it was kind of well they did do a 180 in terms of not a complete 180 i guess um of their image but like in terms of how they were managing things you know what i'm saying they Mm -hmm. had steve mills in charge of decisions and jim dolan the final say and now steve mills in charge of like no decisions and jim dolan no say or you know little or you know smaller say in in things. It was first of all, I felt bad for Steve. He didn't say anything. Yeah, that's Steve rough. I, it was an interesting deal as I was watching. But I'm really curious. Do you feel like that vibe will like stay there? Do you think it's permanent, or do you think it could slowly go away? It'll of course go away at some point because it's not going to last forever. It's I mean you're on a high right now. The honeymoon Knicks period, fan, yeah. right? And they will lose games. I'm sure they will. You know. I, for some reason, though, like, I still think they're going to make the playoffs. I don't know why. I was watching that Hawks game last night. I was really disappointed in the Raptors just giving it to them. I mean, yeah. they were they were like one for their first seven in the overtime, which you're not going to win like that. I, yeah, it was there's still something close. there. Yeah. yeah, and the Hawks aren't that great without Horford, especially. Like, they just I, I don't see what their big appeal is. Obviously, it's not like they have a huge appeal because they're in the eight seed, but. Uh, I just feel like for some – it's going to be close at least. That's yeah, my, I, think I think it'll it's be, be close. close. It is tough though. I, I don't know if they can do it. I, it's just It'll be a real tough push. Last week I was feeling like they could. It's just a week-to-week. I feel like it changes. It goes the opposite direction every single week. All right, Kev. Without further ado, now we welcome in Chris Herring of the Wall Street Journal at Herring WSJ if for some reason you don't follow him right now. And, Chris, you know, first off, the, the Michigan Wolverines. You know, you, you liking where they are? They're in a pretty tough uh, region. They're in a really tough region, and um, I got to be honest in saying that I, I really wish they had ended up getting that one seed. And what what region was that? In the East or whatever it would have been, because um, they'd beaten Michigan State on Sunday. Yeah, East because Virginia's over there. Being, 
they could have avoided being in, in a bracket with, I think they're, as of right now, including Michigan, three of the teams that were in the Final Four last year are all in the same bracket, including Louisville. So it would have been nice to avoid all that. But, um, you know, they're pretty good. They've played good competition all year, so they'll be ready. Well, it's certainly going to be really fun. And one of the things that's going to continue to happen uh, throughout this month uh, alongside the NCAA tournament is the Knicks playoff push. And uh, Phil Jackson was introduced yesterday at Madison Square Garden. You were there. And, you know, that was one of the things he talked about. But one of the most interesting things that he brought up that I wanted to first ask you about was his open relationship with the media. And that's something that, I mean, Steve Mills, I saw him out there on Saturday. That was like the first time I think I'd ever just seen him sitting chatting with people uh, in a while, maybe all season. And obviously I'm not, I don't have the benefit of being there at every single game like you do. But, um, I mean, what is this going to do? How important is this? Uh, a, for the Knicks' relationship with the media, and B, is it really going to last? We'll see. Um, you know, I, I think if it was up to Phil, he would talk quite often, uh, all the time, like he did in L.A., like he did with Chicago. I mean, he's really well-known, and he, he said this yesterday um, when he references uh, fiance that he got fines all the time. You know, it's probably the most fine coach in the NBA. Uh, during the years that he coached, in part because he uses the media to kind of get his message across and to kind of put referees on watch um, to let them know that, you know, he, he wants certain things to be looked at more closely and to kind of um, get their attention. So he'll put those messages through the media, and it's very smart um, because he knows if it helps his team long term, it's worth the money. But, um, you know, I, I, I thought yesterday was interesting based on what you're asking because he – he pretty much opened his press conference by kind of talking about the culture of the team and then immediately went into the media side and said, we're going to be open, yet there are going to have to be some closed doors. It was like, okay. So I, I didn't really know what to take from that. I mean, he said he would be accessible, which was nice because obviously, you know, Steve Mills has only talked. He had not talked at all um, to the media, you know, in a sit-down format since I believe September or October in the preseason. He talked at media day, and then he talked one more time before a preseason game in Toronto. Um, so based on that, I mean, there, there's very little transparency there. They don't talk, the executives. Uh, Jim Dolan obviously had not had a, a formal sit-down, really, Q&A, full Q&A like that in, in like seven years. I think he spoke when they uh, gave the Knicks and the Nets the All-Star game earlier in the year because it was kind of required of the owners to speak. Um but I, I still don't know what to expect. I mean, I'd love to think that the media policy could really, really be overhauled and changed. Um, but even yesterday, uh, as much as I love Scott, uh, the New York Times was really clear that the Knicks made Jim Dolan available with just the New York Times. Uh, Scott wrote a, a brilliant piece off of it, uh, kind of talking about Jim Dolan and Bill Jackson and Steve Mills wrote ATVs together. Um, you know, and it was great. And I think it made for a great story, but um, a lot of us that cover the team every day, we're like, okay, so why is the New York Times getting Dolan one-on-one when we've all asked for that? And we've all asked just to make them available separately so that it's not 300 people asking Jim Dolan questions. It's just the five or six people that cover the team every day who have pertinent questions to ask him. And the same thing with the radio interviews that he did yesterday. We've never had a chance to really sit down and ask him questions, just us. Um, and it'd be nice to kind of get a sense of what he's thinking uh, beyond having to hear it elsewhere or having to see it in the paper and wonder why one specific paper got him as opposed to everybody. Well, I mean, while we're on that subject, uh, you know, A, there was the whole incident yesterday with Frank and, you know, he didn't get called on for a question. 
Um, and, and kind of B, though, I mean, you look at the – this is kind of a two-part question for you. Look at the media spectrum yesterday and Jim Dolan talking and answering questions. I mean, this was, what, the first time in like seven years that he did that, and people loved him. I mean, should he do that more often, and should he and the Knicks, for that matter, really kind of shed these types of barriers that they may have created yesterday or uh, imposed on the media? Well, I, I guess, you know, me personally, I'm probably a tough person to ask because I don't get why they're there in the first place. Um, I mean, Jim Dolan has the absolute right. I think I should be clear with this because some people really get annoyed hearing the media talk about this. Jim Dolan has the right to handle that stuff however he wants to. I mean, he owns a basketball team. He pays a great deal of money to do that. Um, he's one of the, the biggest spending owners in sports, um, you know, on top of owning one of the most valuable franchises in sports. So, he can do as he pleases, and, you know, I don't really mind that much how he operates. But, um, you know, if I was speaking just on what I think is best for him personally um, in terms of the way fans responded yesterday, I saw a lot of fans kind of maybe not a complete 180. I think they still are disappointed with the way he's handled the team. But I think a lot more people were willing to kind of see his side of it and to not just ridicule the guy. Um, you know, people that have been extremely critical of him over the years seem to kind of come around and say he's human, you know, and that it, it's good to hear that it bothers him that the team is so bad. Um, and, you know, obviously on top of all that, you know, he had just brought in Phil Jackson, who um, despite all the questions we've got about him, could really do a good job in this role, if for no other reason because he's taking so much power out of Jim Dolan's hands. And it, it, it really does seem like Jim Dolan kind of breathed a sigh of relief, like making the media around yesterday just saying how happy he is to kind of relinquish the role of having a – manage the team and having to step in and kind of meddle with, with certain things. So, you know, if, if, if his interviews would be that fruitful and, and that forthcoming, I, I think fans would love to hear from them more often. I don't think it needs to be a weekly fireside chat, but um, I do think that people really appreciated being able to hear him and what his thoughts are and kind of his explanations for certain things. Now, it's interesting, Chris, you say that, and uh, the Dolan protest today outside Madison Square Garden is still set to go on. Obviously, still fans that are not really happy with the job he's done. Well, yeah, it's interesting because they still want to get him to sell the team. Obviously, it wouldn't happen. But what do you think of this? Do you think that most of the fans are going to back away now, or do you? You're saying that it's more positive image now. I don't know what you're protesting. I mean, I, I just people are just like I said with Dolan. People have the right to do however they want, you know, whatever they want. Um, but I think now. Whereas a couple weeks ago, before this win streak started and when it seemed like the team was just uh, comfortable with losing, that people would have gotten behind the rally. I don't know that it would have had, like, thousands of people, but, you know, I know a lot of people that were curious to go uh, and people that were kind of asking each other, are you planning on going? Uh, the New York Post wrote a story about it. ESPN New York had kind of covered it a little bit and the idea and talked to the, the people behind it. So, there was real momentum behind this. I don't think it was ever that well organized. I think that hurt the push as well. But um, I just think if you're worried about the direction of the team and then Jim Dolan put someone in place to kind of change the direction of the team and someone who's very reputable, by the way, and then, you know, you're, you're, you're pissed off at the way the team has played this year. Granted, they're, they're probably still not going to make the playoffs. But then all of a sudden they go on a six-game winning streak, which is a season high. I don't really get what you're protesting <laughs> at that point. I mean, I, I, I guess you could still be upset with Jim Dolan, but 
part of what people are upset with him about is how silent he's been over the years and the fact that he's never really offered an explanation. Well, he did all that yesterday. So I just, I, I really think that it kind of took the wind out of the protesters' sails. I mean, they're still more than welcome to protest, but I just, I think a lot of people, including a lot of the fans that wanted to protest in the first place, now look at that and say, what for? Well, and the image was so far turned around, at least just in that such in that short span, that like LeBron James was even saying, "Okay, like Phil Jackson's here, I would look at the Knicks." I mean, he would never in his right mind look at the Knicks two weeks ago. Um, and obviously, a lot of that just has to do with Phil Jackson, but also, you know, it, it does seem like they're trying to at least repair this team. Um, while we're on that subject of LeBron, do you think that? Because there's obviously a lot of speculation of how like true that is. You know, it doesn't really seem like LeBron would really go to the Knicks. What what chances would you give that? Given now Phil Jackson is the president of the ball club, uh, I still wouldn't put it very high. I mean, first of all, um, it depends on when we're talking about. I mean, LeBron. First of all, if he really wanted to, could opt out this year. Um, you know, it's yet to be seen how he wants to play that. Um, I think the the other two guys around him, Bosch and Wade, have to make the same decision. They could all opt out this year, and it would leave the Knicks no opportunity to go get LeBron. Um, and to be honest with you, I, I really question the idea of how how much Phil by himself um, is, as you know, how important he is as a recruiter. Um, Pat Riley, sure, I understand that people look at him and his ability to recruit. I made this point on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. Pat Riley, you know, I, I think people give him a lot of credit for being able to recruit, and rightfully so. But Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, and uh, LeBron James had already been talking amongst themselves for years uh, about the idea of playing together because they'd enjoyed the Olympic experience. They were really close friends. Um, and they all kind of changed their contracts. You know, they, they all basically opted in to their deals at the same time spend an extra year in the, with the teams they're playing with to all be able to go into free agency at the exact same time. Um, and that was planned and that's been written about. And Pat Riley obviously helped recruit those guys. Cause I mean, he sat down in meetings with them to kind of convince them to come, but I think that was a lot more based on those players and the fact that they wanted to play together. Pat Riley might've, you know, him throwing rings on the table might've been the thing that put it over the top. So I say all that to say this still needs Mello to stay so that Mello can help him recruit. I don't think that Phil Jackson uh, by himself, you know, is going to bring LeBron like it's the other thing. If Phil is supposed to be the next Pat Riley, why would LeBron leave Miami where he already has Pat Riley? I, I just don't really buy the idea that the Knicks become so much more attractive for someone who's not even coaching their team, but is running the operations of the team. I, I think it would maybe be a little different if Phil was coaching and LeBron was intrigued by the idea that he could be coached by maybe the greatest coach of all time. But I, you know, I also think lastly, why would LeBron leave? Like, let's say Miami wins another title this year or, you know, if if they lose this year, but he decides to opt in and stay with the team and then they win next year. Why would LeBron leave if if they've won three or four titles? You know, I, I, I think we need to know a lot more information first. You know, it's just kind of so speculative to me to, to say that LeBron would be seriously considering that when his team could be in the midst of a four uh, four straight titles, you know, having won four straight titles. Like, I don't think someone would do that, especially the star of the team that has no motivation to leave. So it's still too speculative, I think. But, um, you know, I did see the report, and I did see a lot of people reacting to it. 
I'm going to shift the focus over to Mello because when we first heard the rumors that Phil Jackson was coming, he said that Phil coming would not affect his decision. Then recently we heard him kind of change his tune and say that if Phil can help him change his game and make him win a title, he'd be willing to listen. Do you think this was just kind of a PR plan that was carried out, or what do you? what's your sense? You're talking about the way Mello reacted or the way that the Knicks kind of rolled out Phil to try to get Mello to stay? The, the way Mello reacted, because originally he, it seemed like Phil was not going to affect his decision. He said that it wasn't. Well, and then, then there's also it. the Stephen A's report that it still hasn't affected it. Right. Well, I, I think Carmelo, I mean, if you really, I'll I put it this way, people that, read into every single quote that Carmelo Anthony says or has at this point would probably be feeling nauseated because he's kind of, he's kind of gone back and forth on all these issues. Literally, you know, a few weeks before the season started um, in preseason, he said he wasn't going to talk about the free agency stuff every day, all season. So, you know, tried to put it to bed. People that covered him every day said, okay, we'll stop asking him about it which obviously wasn't going to stop, but we won't ask him about it as frequently. And then a couple of days later, <laughs> there's a story out saying that he wants to test free agency. And it's quoting him. It's like a magazine-length story on him, and it mentions that he wants to test free agency. It's like, okay, so I guess we got to ask him about that because that kind of goes counter to his stance of what he said. Um, so there was that. Um, he's obviously kind of found in different ways, you know, over the course of the year about Mike Woodson. I remember, you know, the, the Washington game that they lost and uh, Mike Woodson took blame for it. And also, well, if it's his fault, it's his fault. And then other times, you know, he's kind of standing up for Mike Woodson. And, uh, you know, and you look at all the other stuff, you know, one week he sounds like there's no way he'd possibly leave. He says I'd be willing to stay and, and take less money if the plan is correct. And, you know, I, I feel really positive about the future going forward here. I want to retire as a Nick. And then, you know, the next week, <laughs> I, you know, saying that he really wants to win a title and that that's the main focus of everything. And, you know, that he's really basically saying he said something to the effect of, is it worth it? And a lot of people took that to mean, you know, he said that after like a 40 point night and they lost. And he said, is it worth it to really do all this? And a lot of people took that to mean, like, is it worth it to stay with the team that I do everything for and we still can't win? And so there's just so many comments that make it, you know, I've seen the fan base go from one spectrum to the other in terms of like, oh, my God, he's leaving or, you know, throwing a party because he's clearly staying. And I think the, the right answer is that he hasn't made a, a decision yet. Uh, it really seems like he's going to stay um, just basically because I, I don't think he wants to leave and I don't think he wants to have come here um, to build a winner and, you know, kind of put his re reputation on the line forcing a trade here and then just leaving. But, um, you know, I think the Phil situation probably does force him to think more, and I'm sure it probably does enhance the situation more because he trusts Phil Jackson um, and anybody would trust Phil Jackson. But I don't think his mind is made up. I, again, I think it's really speculative to just kind of look at any one comment that he's made um, because, like you said, one week he said Phil Jackson wouldn't really impact his decision that much. And then I asked him about it again. He was like, oh, that was, you know, I'm a chess player. And that was a power move. So it's like, what? It's just really <laughs> hard to read exactly what he's thinking and what he means. Well, I don't know, Chris, if the Knicks have really – well, they haven't made up their mind yet on who their coach next year will be, seemingly. Um, they do say yet tomorrow – or excuse me, yesterday, Phil Jackson says that they're going to have discussions over the offseason. It did kind of sound like Woodson was out the door. Then Waj uh, writes that column. He reports that Phil Jackson had actually recruited Steve Kerr to coach Seattle until that all fell apart. Do you see Steve Kerr as the most likely candidate for New York Knicks coach next year? Um. 
Probably. I mean, I, I'll put it this way. If you gave me a list of 10 random coaches and asked me who was least likely to, to get the job or have the job next year, regardless of who the other nine were, I'd probably say Mike Woodson's the least likely to have the job next year. I mean, it just sounded all the writing was on the wall yesterday between Phil saying that he had people in mind already that he thought, you know, could potentially do the job, which I thought was startling. And then beyond that, uh, Jim Dolan kind of saying that, you know, yesterday on that, the radio that he didn't feel as if injuries were enough to explain why the team is so bad this year. So basically meaning like injuries aren't a good enough excuse to explain why we are the way we are this year. So I, I think that, you know, Phil is probably already giving that a lot of thought. Um, he didn't really give a, an overwhelming endorsement of Mike Woodson. I think he did say he's a very good coach, um, but that the team has really struggled. And he said something effective like, you know, we've had some ups this year and we've had a whole lot of downs. And I was like, so Phil, Phil, I mean, this is someone who I don't think Phil, I'd have to look. I don't know that he ever had a losing season as a coach um, with the Lakers or with the Bulls. So he, I'm sure he's put off by the way they played this season. And I think he's smart enough to know that the core of the team that won 54 games is exactly the same as it was as it is this season and that there's really no excuse in a historically poor Eastern Conference to have the kind of record they have. So somebody, I think, will clearly be taking over. Um, I don't think it'll be Phil himself. I really have questions about Kerr, but it does sound like they talk a lot, and it does sound like Phil would uh, definitely consider that. Um, I, I have no doubt that Steve Kerr will probably be one of the finalists for it. Um, you know, I would hope that Phil kind of opens his mind a little bit more than to just go to the person he's most comfortable with, and it sounds like Kerr might be that guy, but it, it does sound like there uh, already is really serious consideration being given to that. When Phil said he said he was too lame to coach Kev, I was, I was a little sad to hear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, interesting quote from him. But, uh, Chris, before you said that you don't think the Knicks will make the playoffs, with a weak Atlanta team in that eight seed, I know they're on a five-game winning streak, but do you think the Knicks, there's any way they could surpass them? And if not, why do you think they couldn't make it? No, I, I think they're probably done. And, uh, you know, maybe if they win tonight and they show that they're capable of beating really, really good competition, that's one thing. But uh, I know I tweeted about it last night, and I'd have to update it again this morning. But they uh, – I mean, they, they're like, they have something like an 8% chance of making the playoffs based on how far back they are. And, um, you know, it's just actually looking at it now, ESPN's updated, it's a 6%. Um, <laughs> so the 6% chance with uh, what, where they have 15 games left to go. And it's just, it's that they're too far back at this point. Um, they, they don't have a really easy schedule anymore. Uh, they had the stretch that they've won games in, and they've got a few more easier games, but. Look at the month of April and then tell me how if the Knicks yeah. aren't already in front of Atlanta that they aren't gonna that they're gonna surpass them in April. They they play seven games in April and all seven of those teams right now, if the playoffs were to start today, all seven of those teams are in the playoffs. And the Knicks have gone seven and twenty five this season against teams that are five hundred or better. So you mean to tell me that they're gonna match <laughs> the seven that they already have in the last seven games of the season? I, I just find that really hard to believe. Um, they do have a lot of those games at home, but I just have real questions, and I'm, I'm not thoroughly convinced yet that the, the six games that they've won, only one of them had a 500 record at the time. I think it was that Minnesota game. Um, I'm not convinced yet, and I do think it might take something out of them to go from playing one caliber of team to another uh, for a sustained stretch of time. I, I just think that if they were going to catch Atlanta, they would have needed to have done it already uh, to be within a game or so of them already to really make that, uh, make that push. Yeah, in April they played Brooklyn twice, Toronto twice, Chicago, Miami, 
and Washington. So that's going to be pretty tough. Uh, Chris, before yeah, we get to, before we let you leave here, um, your final four. We need to know your final four. Oh boy, um, I don't even know that I have the the regions. Uh, well, let, let, me, let me give you some I'll... possibilities. There's Michigan okay. State, Virginia, um, Villanova, Iowa State in the East. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the in the Midwest, there's Michigan. I'm sure you're going to probably pick them. Louisville, Wichita State, uh, Duke, and then in the West, there's Arizona, Creighton, uh, Oklahoma. People might be taking Oklahoma State. Uh, and Wisconsin, and then the other region is like Florida, Syracuse, Kansas, and UCLA. Okay. Well, I will give you Florida. I feel like everybody's picking them, but they're they're really solid this year. They've played really good basketball, and they've been really consistent um, to play in such a major conference. Um, so I'll take them. I will take Michigan State. Uh, like you said, I'll take Michigan. And I'm trying to think in the other – the other bracket who who was left over um wisconsin creighton arizona and san diego state oklahoma i'll take arizona i i don't know i don't feel as comfortable with them because uh, i've seen them play a couple times i, I think aren't they dealing with a pretty serious injury yeah well their big man is hurt yeah brandon, brandon ashley went down that hurts yeah. right so that that's my big question on them um i mean it's pretty not that terrible to make it through part of the regular season like that but, um, you know, Michigan, that's my big question with Michigan, too, is Michigan, um, they obviously lost Trey Burke and, and Tim Hardaway in the draft, but they lost uh, a really key part of their run from last year. Uh, Mitch McGarry has been out, uh, basically had like a back surgery during, the, during yeah. the season, and so I think it'll probably hurt them in the tournament if they play against a bigger team. They've got some size, but um, he's such a good player and he's so mobile that not having him to kind of match up against teams that are both big and quick like that, I think it could hurt them, but... Uh, I don't know, but I'm a homer in this case. I really pull for Michigan all the time, so I'm hoping that they'll get to the Final Four. All right, Chris, well, that was fun. Thanks a lot for coming on the pod for, believe it or not, your first time, even though you've been on one-on-one a few times. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it was was fun. Hope to have you again in the future and see you around. Thank you for having me. I'll talk to you soon, guys. I really enjoyed that with Chris. Um, Just for a good amount of time at the beginning, just talking about the media and the relationship with the Knicks because that was – like he said, one of the first things that was talked about yesterday, and it was just kind of, well, at first it was funny because it was a contradictory statement by Phil Jackson, but uh, interesting at the same time because that's not, they haven't had always the, the best relationship with the people who cover them. Absolutely. I was really surprised yesterday. He was on the radio, and I couldn't believe how long it lasted. I, I got back, I got back in my car, I was at home, I was sitting there, and I couldn't like stop listening. I just didn't get out of my car for a while because I was listening to James Dolan. It was so different to hear him speak. Because even in the press conference yesterday, there were some questions directed at him, but usually they were relatively short answers. And it was really interesting to hear him talk for a while. Yeah, and fans, which was weird too because, I mean, Michael Kay, an alum of the station, Twitter doesn't like Michael Kay, and Twitter <laughs> doesn't like James Dolan. And yesterday all I saw was great job by Michael Kay, great job by James Dolan. And it was just kind of a – like a double take moment, and you're like, "What? What just happened?" Yeah. Um. So yeah, it was um, it was it was good. I mean, and obviously, I brought it up, and if you follow Frank, I saw on Twitter, you know what was happening yesterday. They, you know, they weren't calling on any of the beat writers off to the right, and uh, you know, it could have been for a variety of reasons, but I, they basically didn't want Frank. I saw it ask question, <laughs> and a lot of the beat reporters were around Frank. So I mean that could have been why that that you know they didn't get microphones, but it was that was the strange part. But still, um, there was a little bit of amended image yesterday, which was good for the Knicks in terms of their 
Yeah. I, I can't believe they don't let Isol ask a question. I mean, Broussard asked two questions, and, and you don't give. Berman got give one. Isol, yeah. Right. Unbelievable. A lot I, of guys got that's one. That's a guy that has to have it, and it clearly it makes you look bad. But I agree. The image has been mended at least a bit. Yeah. Um. And I, I just think in the future of the Knicks, I do think that Steve Kerr is going to be the head coach. I don't see Mike Woodson surviving. I think that Phil J- it Phil Jackson realizes that there's another year on, on Mike Woodson's deal, but it's not like I was thinking about it in comparison to the Jets situation with Idzik and Rex Ryan and Idzik was like, Okay, I'm just gonna give Rex Ryan a shot, let him run out his contract. I don't I mean I just don't think that Phil Jackson's gonna do that at all. No, I don't think so. Yeah. yeah I don't um, see that happening. But e- either way, um it's been a roller. It's been a weird season. It's been a kind of depressing season. Yesterday was finally a refreshing day of. I mean, Phil was using words that, again, like I said, like in the story, I don't think that ever been used before in Madison Square Garden, like logical offense and yeah. <laughs> system basketball, and you know, three offensive rebounders crashing the glass. Which it's just strange too, because you think about how that would work, and like they're probably going to need more new players, but um, it's. Definitely going to be a more fluid-looking team. And I think that Phil wants Melo back so badly just because he realizes how poorly he's been just thrust into this, this isolation offense. Like, he did say, Phil, that you know Melo is one of the best, if not the best, isolation players in the game. But he said he has you know another level that he thinks Melo can go to, and he wants to get him there. And he brought up the Olympics. When Mel was playing so well in the Olympics, I think Phil Jackson, and this is probably the pitch that he's going to make to Melo, I think Phil Jackson, as good as Melo has been, he's having a career year. He had one last year. He's having one on the glass this year. Mm -hmm. He's still scoring a bunch. He's going to make Melo even better, I think, next year and the year after. And we've seen in the NBA, with good coaching and good direction, old guys can be just as productive, if not even more productive as they had been in years. Look at Tim Duncan. He's Tim in- Duncan is still killing it at power forward. He's still one of the best power forwards in it's the game. It's a great example, At least yeah. last year in the playoffs. And it's all because his minutes were managed right, the system he plays in is so perfect, and Popovich is a wonderful coach. I think that Phil Jackson can come into New York, he can implement a system where Carmelo is not only the focus and it's meant for him, but... Phil Jackson will work to get the right players around Melo, and he's going to get younger players around Melo who aren't going to continue to get hurt. That was another thing he mentioned right off the bat was injuries. He doesn't want – he sees all the injuries. He sees Tyson Chandler, Kenya Martin, Amari Stoudemire. Going to, obviously, Stoudemire's mm-hmm. knees just explode every five months. But <laughs> I think that that's also part of the reason why Melo's been kind of hindered this year. It's been tough for him. Even though he's scored a lot, I mean, I don't think he enjoys – uh, playing sometimes, or it it sometimes is a little bit of troublesome because there's no one to pick him up when he's not scoring, and the guys who are usually there a lot of times they're hurt, so it, it's it's different. See, the problem is we're saying all this, and we still don't even know if he'll stay. And I just, for some reason, I can picture him in a Bulls uniform. I can see it happening. I can see them amnestying Boozer because I think they want to do that in the long run. And I could totally see Melo playing there. And we're saying all this stuff about what Melo can become with Phil Jackson there. We don't even know if he'll stay. Indeed. Um, and that's an interesting question. And like you, you, you asked Chris, I mean, he's flip-flopped in this issue a lot. Um, and he still hasn't, at least as of Saturday, hadn't spoken to Phil Jackson. So, I mean, let's see what happens once Phil starts talking to him and guiding him and 
and recommending things for him to do off the court to improve his on the court abilities and whatsoever because he will be working with with Carmelo. He said he's going to go to the the game on Wednesday or uh, he'll meet with the team before the game tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is and um, and and talk to them. So that's gonna be interesting. Um, all right. I mean, other than that, around the NBA, Kev, it's it's really just more playoff push stuff. Um, Gotta this, love the way the Nets are playing. You do have to love the way the yeah. Nets are playing. I was there on Monday night. Darren Williams went off. That's he right. And fantastic. Are you here again tonight? I'm going, yeah, to Charlotte tonight, so that should be good. But, th- yeah, Darren went off. I mean, I just love just a brief note on them. I love the way they post up their guards because they clearly see the advantage well, of Livingston. so long. Yeah, yeah, and it just works so well for them, and they're really clicking on all cylinders right now. Oh, I forgot. LeBron had 43 against the Cavs, yep, yep. so that was that was kind of important. That was a close game, too. Down, That was kind of down yeah. to the wire. I watched the end of that one. And, Ky- and Kyrie's out now. Hopefully he wants to come back this season, but uh, who knows. And, uh, yeah, M- Millsap had a triple-double, which was weird against the Raptors because he didn't have a basket for the first, like, I think I feel like I think it was one and a half quarters or something. I don't know how long it was, but he didn't have a basket for a while, and he had a triple-double. Teague had 34. Teague's weird to me. Yeah. He's just a really weird player, you know? I just don't see, like, even when I was looking at him, when the Knicks might have gotten him, I just didn't, I just don't see it. He's not that great. I know he's, like, kind of young, but I don't I don't see his, his Yeah, I didn't real, see it either. I think, value. I mean, if they were really trying to make the playoff push for this year, I could see why they would have done it. But I think they made the right move not going for Teague. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's 25, but... Um, that deal's a little rough. I think it was uh, four years, 32 mil or something. I'm pretty sure it's around that number. Yeah, we'll see. Um, all right, we got to get to March Madness, though, because that's a huge topic right now and sneakily we didn't name this an nba podcast it's just basketball podcast so we could talk about this um let, you want to go region by region first off because just to talk about oh, some we different matchups let's start in the south here then okay i have surprisingly just complete chalk except for syracuse in the elite eight and dayton upsetting ohio state in the first round really okay well so you don't like uh stephen f austin no not over VCU. You think they're going to create too VCU, many turnovers? VCU, I think, is a better team than people will give them credit for. I, they don't have that powerhouse scorer. Uh, they don't have a. They they run a fast game, and I think that they can shake SF Austin. Yes, I, 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 I don't like them to advance past the round of thirty-two, but I think they'll win that that first game. Okay, so you have UCLA taking them down in the, yeah. in the round of thirty-two. I, yeah, I liked what, I like what UCLA did against Arizona, although. Again, UCLA's got to play Florida in the Sweet 16 then, and, and that's not going to happen. I mean, it's I hate chalk, but that's I mean that's pretty much what it's I'm. Funny. I'm actually my interesting one is I don't think Kansas is going to make it out of the first weekend without Embiid. I think New Mexico, I, I agree with you. New Mexico, if they beat Stanford, will bully Kansas well, inside now, with Barristow and Kirk. They're going to just destroy them. I'm well. That's the thing though. I'm not a big. I'm not. I don't follow this stuff religiously. Do you think that Embiid comes back? I think he does if when? they get far enough. But the, the, see, the problem is he wouldn't come back till he got to the Sweet 16. Okay. And well, that's what Bill Self is saying that he wouldn't be back until that Sweet 16 game. And I really just don't see them making it there. I mean, I think they'll beat Eastern Kentucky because they have a team that can take them down. But if they meet New Mexico, it's going to be tough. I see. I don't know if I want to take Kansas now against New Mexico. I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll leave that. We'll leave that there though. Do you have who do you have coming out of that region? Florida. I have Florida, yeah. Okay, I have Florida over Syracuse. In Same the, here. Yeah, yeah okay, so we right, Yeah, okay. Yep. Um, the West, there's like, and by the way, instead of NBA picks, we're just going to do these picks. The West, again, it's kind of chalky for me. Actually, it's it's pretty chalky. I have Arizona and Creighton, though, in the Elite Eight, and, and Arizona going to the Final Four. My upsets here, Oklahoma State, obviously. Yep. 
Um, I have Oklahoma over San Diego State, and I have Oregon over Wisconsin. See, I think I have Oklahoma State and Creighton in my Elite Eight because I think Oklahoma State can take down Arizona. Nobody's believing in them now. I really think Marcus Smart's going to put together a great tournament. Arizona's defense is so solid, though. That's the thing. It is solid, but Oklahoma State's so underrated. Everyone was writing them off early in the year, and I was just stuck with them because I believe in them, and I really think they can make a run. A couple people even had them going to the Final Four, but I think it's going to be Elite Eight for them. My big one, though, you said Oklahoma's going to take down San Diego State. I don't think Oklahoma's getting out of that round. Really? The round of 64 with North Dakota State. North Dakota State is the best field goal shooting team in the country. They're number one out of all the teams. I really think they can take down Oklahoma. That's a, that's a nice pick for me. Um, what do you think of uh, Oregon over, over Wisconsin? Is I that have that, actually. You do? Yeah, I like to go like, with a lot of upsets. I like, but... I like Oregon, and Kaminsky's really good, but... I don't know. There's just, like they beat Michigan. There's something about there's something about Wisconsin that's just shaky to me. Yeah, in the turn. I mean, they lost two to seed, Two seeds in ago. general, really. Two seeds to me are just like really. I actually have. I don't have any two seeds besides Michigan in the Elite Eight. So, I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's oh, same something. here. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. In the East, let's see. My upsets. I have Harvard over Cincy. Um. I have Memphis over Virginia, and I have Michigan State and Connecticut in the. Elite Eight. I have Connecticut over Villanova. See, what I did, because I'm just trying to get points, is I don't think Villanova is going to get past Connecticut, but just in case, I picked Milwaukee to take down Villanova, because you like recently we've seen some decent number 15. Dude, that's actually, that's a, well see, I don't think we get upset points in this. Are you in the FUV bracket? I will get, be, yeah. Okay. I'm gonna, I, I haven't filled out get, my bracket for it. I don't it. think we get upsets. Oh really? Points, but that's an that's see. A yeah, really... I'm doing one where we do it. You multiply it by the seed, so that's there's a, a really weight for each round. One. And I really because I I don't think they'll get past Connecticut anyway, so it's not really a big deal. I mean, I'm not going to get the billion dollars, so I'm just going to say that now. Right. From Warren Buffett, but yeah, I think that one will be really interesting because well, I think Milwaukee could do it. Villanova losing to Seton Hall, I don't know. Yeah, they're Dude, shaky. That's the, that Big East tournament because like that opened up my eyes for a lot of things. The St. Joe's is not. They're not going to beat UConn. No, and everybody's so, picking that one too, right, which I don't even understand. I, I, yeah, I mean they're, they're the they're in the eight. 10, obviously, but the, look, St. Joe's, I don't think, is going to beat UConn. UConn is, first of all, they have a better record, which I know that means nothing, but, I mean, they beat Florida. They beat Cincy twice. Um, they beat Memphis three times. Those are some pretty quality wins. Uh, so, yeah, I do have Providence over UNC. Do you? I actually have UNC making a little run. I, I can't I decide because it. I can't decide Iowa between Iowa really State. Good, I, really, yeah. I really wish that wasn't the 3-6 matchup because... I love Iowa State this year. I think they could make a nice run, and I could just be picking them out too early because I really think it'll be North Carolina and Connecticut in the Sweet 16. Yeah, uh, I have Connecticut and Iowa State. I don't have Providence beating Iowa State, although I I wanted to pick that. But uh, th- again, like when I was at the Big East tournament, I, I I'm not completely sold on Providence. I do love Bryce Cotton. Don't get me wrong, love Bryce Cotton, but I think it was more Creighton just not playing a good game and not hitting their shots. Yeah. If Creighton hit their shots, I think they would have beaten Providence. Kind of handily. All right, last region is the one that you have Wichita State coming out of, which is just absurd. Everybody's going to get on my case, but that's the thing. They're going to get that in them. They have bulletin board material now because nobody believes they can make it. Oh, yeah, there's like three, including them, three Final Four teams from last year in this region. I think they can do it. I love Wichita State. I still, I always... My thing is I always go to the final. Whenever I go to the final four, I get a shirt of the team with the lowest seed. So Wichita State last year, I have a shirt. I wear it all the time. I love Wichita State. What Ron Baker, Clay Anthony Early, and Fred Van Vliet is doing this year, 
Just incredible. And I yeah, everybody but Louisville, is so against them. Dude, Louisville. I know. They're not going to beat but Louisville. But do you remember the Final Four game with Louisville last year? That was going to be a win. My turning point is when Kevin Ware walked out, because Wichita State was up, I think, double digits. Kevin Ware walked out on the floor, and Louisville got just like so energized from him coming out on his crutches, and that changed the game. They can beat Louisville. I really, I'm convinced. It'll be tough to get out of that region. Louisville is tough. Um, it, it is going to be really tough to get out. Yeah, but I, I love Wichita State. I picked them to win it all, and I, I'll probably get burned by it. But. I will say though, they're not. I don't think Kentucky's going to beat them. That's I, the I one that those everybody's. Are, yeah, and those too. are probably my famous last words. But I don't think Kentucky's going to. Kentucky beat might them. not get out of the first round against well, second round against yeah. Kansas State. I hate Freaking, how they I, change I hate those. that too. Okay, the, the weird thing to me is a lot of people are picking NC State over St. Louis, and I want to do that because the NC State is coming off the first four game. Generally, the teams coming off those first four games in the last you know few years when they've had them have won. At least one of them have won a first-round matchup mm-hmm. and even made a little run. But St. Louis is re- really, really good. Like, kind how of can reeling you... now, though. They've had a tough stretch. Yeah, but they're and really good. I picked – this is funny because I picked NC State even before they played Xavier. I already – I was like, oh, round one winner is totally going to beat St. Louis because I, I knew NC State was going to win. They're TJ good. TJ Warren is incredible. I love this NC State team, and I think they could even take down Louisville if they end up meeting them. I really think NC State's underrated, and I'm, I'm glad they got in the t- tournament. Coach K obviously complained about the Atlantic 10 – possibly getting more bids than the ACC, and I agreed with him. I think NC State could make a little bit of a run. I You know who has uh, is going to make a run to me is UMass. Like UMass is going to beat Duke. That's now, funny. Now, it depend, now, I am going to watch Iowa-Tennessee tonight, yeah. and I am going to scout that game hard. And if I'm really impressed by the team that wins, I might t- pick them to pull an upset over Duke. But Duke... Everyone knows Duke is so upset prone in, in March recently. Like, there's no way they're making it to the Sweet 16. Yeah, I don't know. I I like Duke enough. I think they can push, but I know I could get burned easily. I really it, think Iowa or Tennessee could take down UMass. I just think UMass is overrated. A six seed's outrageous for them. Chaz is dope, though. Chaz is great, but a six seed is outrageous for UMass, and I'm glad. I think it was Jay Billis went off on this on air. That there was no reason that they should have a. They beat New Mexico by six. They beat New Mexico by sixteen. They beat Nebraska. They beat VCU. But they were a six seed in their own conference tournament, in yeah. the eight ten tournament. It was. It's a little outrageous to me, but yeah, Iowa or Tennessee. This is the same thing. Iowa had a tough stretch at the end of the year, similar to St. Louis, like you were saying. So if they can put together, you know, a decent game in their first four, we'll see what they can do. I don't know. I look. I saw Duke play Arizona in the NIT preseason uh, finals. And that was when I fell in love with Arizona, and I know that Ashley's hurt right now. I like Aaron Gordon at that four. Um, I know I, I know we're not talking about them right now, but I, I just – that game in general. Like, I really like Aaron Gordon at the four now. Uh, Nick Johnson lights it up. The thing about Arizona, too, they have great bench players. Oh, absolutely. Like they, they're very deep. Gabe York is very good. McConnell was inc- – to me, he impressed me so much um, as a distributor. Um, and then in that game, I also saw Jabari Parker, and I wasn't sold. Now, obviously, look, it's very early. That yeah, was very early last time. A lot has time. changed since I then. I wasn't sold on him then. He is, he, he has proven something to me since then. I just, I'm not, I'm not. Look, Rodney Hood is also very good. I'm just not. I'm not sold on Duke in March, but... Yeah, I mean, we've seen them lose the 15 seeds. We've seen a lot, uh, even close games, uh, even because they lost to a 15 seed, then a few years back, they had trouble against Belmont in that first-round game in the same part of the bracket. I don't know. I, I like Duke enough to advance. I don't know. Michigan, to me, I just can't decide what I want to do if Duke and Michigan meet. Um, I have I, I have Louisville and Michigan meeting, and I have I have 
Louisville beating Michigan. I don't think Michigan would lose to Duke, though, if that were the Sweet 16. If that were the, yeah, I'm just saying if that were the Sweet 16. I don't think that would happen. I think it'd be a close one. I, I like Duke more than I've liked them in the past, and I've usually been wrong about Duke. But Because last year I, I thought they put together a decent run, and they did. But before that, it's it's always tough to pick them in the tournament. You never know. Yeah. All right, so what's your final four? Final four, Florida, Michigan State, Creighton, and Wichita State. Okay. I have Florida, Michigan State, Arizona, and Louisville. Now, this is this is a tentative title game, but I have Arizona over Florida. I have Wichita State over Michigan State. I think Michigan State's going to get there. I mean, the stat that's now being thrown around, I, I used to use it all the time, but now it's very popular, is that Tom Izzo has never had a four-year player who he recruited who he didn't take to a Final Four. And this is the year he has to do it. I think he keeps the record going. I just don't think he can take down Wichita State in the title game. I, I love my Shockers. I, I, I know you do. Um, <laughs> it's so tough to me because McBu- I love McBuckets. Like, he is, oh, yeah. He is, I dude, honestly, I, I just have to get this out of the way. Like, I interviewed him after his, uh, his semifinal game in the Big East tournament. I watched him play three times. I was absolutely astounded. Like, th- if this guy doesn't go top 10 in the NBA draft, I'm going to be upset. And he's going to be a steal for whoever gets oh, him. No matter where he gets picked, I now, feel like he's a steal. Now, he is a steal, but I don't think that – I think he could be ruined by someone. Like, he needs to go to the right system. Someone was telling me uh, – Taylor Armasino, I think, was telling me at TR Armasino on Twitter, one of my friends, was saying uh, the Bobcats. Like, think about him just taking all of the shots on the Bobcats. Like, that would work for him. He, he, he'd That's be interesting. He could play, like, the, the four, the three, spread the floor, shoot the ball. You got a little kid Gilchrist defense, Kemba Walker giving him the rock. That could work for Doug McDermott. Um, I could see that panning out. Yeah, yeah. yeah I just but, really expect uh, him to be great. Just, I know. I I have. I'm so nervous taking Arizona as the champion. I know they're not going to get there, but I love them, and I just think that their defense will will give them a run or put them on a run. I guess. I, I don't. Yeah, know. I could see it. I could see. It. There's there's so many teams I could see making a run this year. It's so tough. All right. Well. Those are our picks. You give us yours uh, at WFB Sports. You can tweet at Kenny Ducey. K-Sauce doesn't have a Twitter yet. I'm going to make you a Twitter. You're going to make me a Twitter? All right. Yeah. We'll see how it it's goes. It's going to be at K-Sauce. Um, it's actually not tip-off time. It's goodbye time. Thanks again uh, to Chris Herring, our guest at the Wall Street Journal at Herring WSJ. Any final thoughts for the people at home, Kev? Uh, final thoughts. Let's see. Well, I'm expecting the Nets to beat the Bobcats tonight when I'm there. Yeah, I think so. That's the final one. And just go Shockers. That's all go I got to say. Go Shockers. All right. Well, we'll see you again next Wednesday. We'll see if the Shockers are still in it. 